All right, welcome to the Armchair Commanders podcast. My name is John. And I'm Jack. And this week, we have a bonus reel that we wanted to share with all of you. Uh, Much like every other person in the uh, history, pop culture, influencer, if, if you are in the history world, then the only thing anybody's been talking about is Masters of the Air. Which, What's uh, Masters of the Air? No, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> this is where you're supposed to say, I'm glad you asked, and then launched into what it is. I'm glad you asked. Masters of the Air is the third installment of the uh, Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg team-up of a miniseries. Uh, most notably, they start with Band of Brothers, which if you haven't heard of, heard or seen Band of Brothers, then I don't know what then what's to tell wrong you. with you. Yeah, I don't even know why you're listening to this podcast. You're definitely not in our demographic. Um, they also did, they followed that up with the Pacific, and then they went a long, long time before finally coming up with this series. If I'm not mistaken, this series has been in the talks or has been like, it's been in the works for like literal years. They took a long time before they actually got around to actually doing this and filming it and uh, getting it out. And I'm sure the whole COVID thing probably played a part of that because that screwed up a lot of things, but it's uh, it was a very long awaited and very highly anticipated series. You know, with a name like Masters of the Air, I was really expecting a documentary series about those guys in World War One that would dig tunnels under enemy lines and then blow them up. So I feel lied to. I guess I don't see the correlation. Why would you think? Well, you see, Masters of the Air subverts our expectations, you see, and sets us up to give us the one-two punch of subversion and then zigzag i don't fucking know man i was trying to make a joke but it didn't go anywhere anyway so i know we had talked a little bit about it when they did the the trailer release for this but uh how excited were you going into watching uh this episode and mind you to our fans we are only doing episode one i know episode one and two got released together but for reasons we're just doing episode one right now so how 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 excited were you for this new series to come out i was excited you know i like band of band of brothers fucking love pacific don't ask me to pick a favorite because i will not it's like you know i think i think it's hard because yes they're all products of tom hanks um obviously their world war ii miniseries but they're very much their own things and i Mm -hmm. and i know that might sound like a silly kind of observation but i i truly mean it in the sense that like band of brothers is a start to finish um series that follows one particular unit in world war ii it's based off of stephen e ambrose book of the same name um so it's a very it's very linear in its storytelling and then we have Um, the pacific where it's not about one unit it's about the entire theater and it's like three or four different books 
Yeah, the the Pacific is an amalgamation of a couple of different books. It follows a couple of different primary characters or individuals who they're actually based on, such as you know Sergeant Basalone or uh, Eugene Sledge. Um, but yeah, I think. Although it does tell individual battle stories such as Guadalcanal or Okinawa or Pele, 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 like, I can never pronounce that island. It, I, I just can't. Um, I think the, the bigger overarching goal of the Pacific is more about the horror of war yeah. and less, less about being you know, kind of that narrative type uh, series that Band of Brothers is. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, Band of Brothers doesn't show or express like the horrors of war, but it's not the, it's not the primary goal. The primary goal of that series is definitely telling the story of, you know, these paratroopers versus like, okay, we're going to show you how shitty it is filing the island hopping campaign in World War II in the Pacific. Um, so I'm I'm interested to see what way this series is going to take its storytelling because ultimately this series is also based off of a book of the same name, Masters of the Air, which is about a particular squadron or bomb group so i think as far as our characters and our storytelling is probably going to align a lot more to band of brothers but we've already kind of we're jumping around more than i was expecting starting off definitely and it seems like a more band of brothers-esque organization where or storytelling where it's just one unit and one book which simplifies things. <clears throat> yeah, I think the difference is obviously, and I don't know if they're going to do flashbacks or whatever, but, you know, we we start off with the very typical, like, how do we express this as 1940s? Well, we have everybody in a bar listening to swing or jazz music. Um, but then we immediately go into you know, an action-packed, um, you know, flight sequence where a B-17 is getting shot up to pieces. Um, and then we go back to our main characters and they start showing up in England. So, like, we don't really get the, like, the training montage or the, like, gradual, like, we don't get the same character development thus far that we would, like, in Band of Brothers. Because we didn't, we didn't get a training montage. No montage. Montage. Um, nope. Just. But then again, I'm. I'm sure a training montage of like flight school probably isn't going to be that entertaining. Certainly no. Um, who's that uh, fucking asshole of an instructor they had in Band of Brothers? Sobel. Yeah, there's no Sobel and him getting lost and fucking up the fence. There's no supposed to be cows here. Shut up, Ross. You're the worst friend. 
I will say they did a pretty decent job in this episode getting us introduced to multiple characters that I like like I definitely see okay we have four or five primary characters that we're going that I'm assuming we're going to be following throughout this show. So I'm excited to see the different angles we take cuz you know obviously with like the Pacific we have uh Barcelona uh be the primary focus for like two eps well the first two episodes and then he's kind of background that's the sledge uh, for, for, yeah uh versus like you know you take band of brothers and uh you know the medic basically gets his own episode during the siege of bastone or um god what was his name buck compton there's like not buck compton Sergeant Randleman, the the big the big dude that uh, he's the one that went on to go uh, perform in Southlands. I know the act. Yeah, but he has a big story arc in one of the episodes too. So I'm I'm curious to see how they're going to divvy up uh, the storytelling between these different characters. Yeah, and. I don't know if this is a potential spoiler or not, but I really do feel like the intros may have spoiled some plot points. In what way for you? Like I, I'd be willing to bet money right now that one of the characters is captured specifically by the Russians after a crash. So See, I bet I never... there's going to be some time in a prison camp too. I I could see that, and mind you, to our listeners, I haven't I haven't read Masters of the Air, so and I I, I can't read, so right. Um, <laughs> it's it's on my to do list for reading, but I haven't read the book, so at this point, I I genuinely don't know where this story is supposed to go, or like what people who have read this book are expecting out of it. Um, but after watching this first episode, I've definitely have bumped up the priority of getting that book read um but yeah at this point i'm not sure but what about the the intro made you think that there's going to be like a prison camp scene like the cut like the cuts they show you know the clips from the show oh you meant the the inch i i got you i thought you meant like the very first first scene not the uh not the like uh fuck is it called yeah no it was the intro scene where one of the characters say boy this war is going to be swell i sure hope i don't end up in a russian pow camp after crashing right so the the opening credits yeah that's what i was getting okay i feel you there was something that stuck out to me in the opening credits um and I genuinely, I'm very excited about it um, and its potential, but there is a brief couple of second glance where we see a few pilots that um, they're African-Americans, which ob- like that's a very obvious nod to like the, the Tuskegee Airmen. And I'm, I'm super interested to see at what point they're going to introduce the Tuskegee Airmen into this storyline, how much they're going to be introduced, like how much character development we're going to get to see amongst them. 
um like I, i'm genuinely excited to see like how much they're going to be incorporating the, the tuskegee airmen into this story because that the the story of the tuskegee airmen is probably one of my top five uh subjects about world war ii that i like reading about because they're just a very impressive group of people um what about you did you uh notice that yeah i did notice that and i would lo love to see how they handle that it's a shame because like and granted i don't know if there's more but off the top of my head i can only think of two to see airmen like movies that are fully de dedicated to them one was done by i believe it was hbo in the early to late 90s early 2000s it was literally just called tuskegee airmen and it's it's of similar film quality to the lost battalion which is not meant to like it's not saying it's bad it's just to give you an idea is that's where the the filming quality of it is um but that starred uh lawrence fishburne and i believe cuba gooding jr was in it also um but that that movie i thought was a very good movie um even if it was a little cheesy at points and then there's the other tuskegee airmen which is god help us if we ever have to review that movie red tails hmm, have you like ever red tails eh i don't think i've seen it red tails is <laughs> Red it's, Tails is. It's not. It could have been so much better than what it was. I feel like you're holding back. You know, we can review that sometime. I just, like I said, the Tuskegee Airmen is a terrific story. And I think the movie Red Tails did a great disservice to them okay but that that's for a, another episode but i but yeah i'm very excited to see when they're going to incorporate the ski gearman into this series yeah can't wait I think so what gonna, was or i think, I think it's gonna be an earlier episode you think they're gonna wait Well, like I said, we've only watched the first episode, so hopefully we we see them in the second episode, if not by the third, because the earlier they introduce them, the more opportunities they're going to have to be able to expand on their story. So I personally am hoping for an earlier introduction to them, but honestly, I, I don't know when that will happen. So what was your favorite part since I knew you were going to, for that? <laughs> My favorite part was honestly that first combat scene. Um, and mind you, there were some parts of it that you're like, the series seemed like to, to start off the, the air war in 1943, which is when this series is picking up the daylight bombing campaigns 
were absolutely horrific and had massive amounts of losses because at this point the Luftwaffe hadn't been decimated quite to the point like the the Luftwaffe was still a very strong force at this point of the war couple that with the anti-aircraft fire um you know like the flak and stuff um it it was super hard on the crews like there there's a reason the british stopped doing daylight raids is because they were taking so many hits so that's why they went to nighttime bombing and then we came in and basically i don't want to say we're callous or cavalier but we're like fuck it you do night we'll do day that way it's around the clock um and so we started taking the same super heavy losses that they did when they started doing it um all this to say even with that knowledge that first scene of combat seemed a little like exaggerated but it when i say it feels exaggerated it that's exactly what it is it just feels that way if you actually look at photos of b-17 bombers from early on in the war 19 like 1943 to early 44 you know there's when they finally land that airplane that's been shot to shit um a really powerful image is the guy who came over to observe for his squadron so that when they show up he can be like hey guys this is how it's going to be um you know, it's him standing in the foreground, the bombers in the background, and it's just peppered with holes. And like, there's a giant chunk missing out of the side. And you're like, holy fuck, that's intense. Yeah. But all you have to do is Google damaged B-17s. And it is astounding the fucking hits these things took and still came back. Like, my favorite uh, photo is of a B-17 that was nearly sliced in half when an airplane like flew through it. Um, it's just, it, it is just asinine the amount of damage these things could take, which is how they, you know, they earn, not only were they given the name, but they, they earned the name of Flying Fortress. Cause it's like the, oh yeah, these things were fucking beasts. Um, so that's what I'm saying is like, it's hard as a viewer in the modern day to really conceptualize air combat, air combat back then. Um, and- I think there's a, there's a lot of films that have tried it, but it's, it's super hard to grasp. And I think because this series has finally grasped, grasped it, that I'm sitting here, I'm like, this almost doesn't feel real, but you have to like, draw yourself in and be like no this is like what they're showing is is shit that actually happened and correct me if i'm wrong but um didn't the airmen over europe face a higher casualty rate than the marines in the pacific uh i honestly i don't know let me do a quick google box search of that um, that'd be a very interesting statistic. Um, 
I feel like that's gotta be wrong, but um, I can't find anything specific, but it says here uh, the casualty rate was nearly five times higher in the Pacific than it was in Europe. So I don't know if that, that again. It was five times higher in the Pacific than it was in Europe, but that's just for soldiers. theater against theater against theater. I don't know what the breakdown is between airmen and sailors and, uh, you know, infantry guys. So, um, but even still, yeah, it was, it was absolutely brutal. Um, what was, what was your favorite part of this first episode? Probably the second battle. (laughs) To quote the um, what the hell's that guy's name? To quote the modern day poet Most Deaf, the shit that lets you know this wasn't no game, dog. <laughs> you know who my favorite poet is? Lil Wayne. No, uh, as the warrior poet Ice Cube once said, "The day did not require an AK, and it was good." then that's saying something considering he's lives in los angeles right anyway Um, but yeah the second mission 19 set out 15 come back and that's considered a good mission well i guess not considering they didn't even achieve their objectives did they they're just like fuck it let's drop the bombs in the channel and go no they they had to turn around because they're like we can't see the target um which honestly that's such a I'm glad they went with a mission like that or a portrayal of a mission like that because the amount of so mind you we had this America developed this site called the Norden bomb site and it was a very advanced piece of technology it it basically did a whole shitload of mathematical equations to allow the proper dropping of bombs on targets. Um, Because, you know, your airplane's flying in one direction, you take wind directions into account, your altitude, like barometric pressure, all that nonsense. So, like, high-level bombing is a super difficult task to do. Um, But that still doesn't change the fact that you have to see your target in order to drop it. And so like, I, I liked how much they portrayed weather impacting Mm -hmm. these guys in this first episode, like, especially like, uh, you know, when they're on their way to the target and they're just, they're flying through cloud cover and, uh, the one bomber comes in and like, they shoot off a flare because they're like, hey, let's see if anybody can see us or we can see anything because of it. So they shoot off a flare. And then like a couple seconds later, a B-17 appears right in front of them. They're like, pull up, pull up. And as they're pulling up, another guy's like, fuck, there's a guy above us. And I was like, that was like, that was a nerve wracking scene. I was like, holy shit, that's intense right there. Because like, these guys are are doing all this stuff. They're not doing it with radar or anything like that. They're they're doing it with paper maps and compasses. You know? <laughs> yeah, like 
just eyeballing it. Yeah, super difficult shit. Um, but yeah, I I thought that second combat scene was also really good. I think a really underrated thing at I don't know if it's underrated, but something in this series that I saw that I was super appreciative of was as they're approaching their target, we see it cuts real quickly to the Germans on the ground and we hear the air raid siren and the guys run out of the bunker and they head over to their flak 88s and we actually see them firing off the anti-aircraft artillery before you know, the flak starts bursting around the B-17s because I think a lot of times um, in war films, when it comes to flak, it's like, we're approaching the target, boys. And then it's like, oh, we got flak incoming. And I think that's the other part of like textualization that this show does well, which is like, yeah, they could have done flak any number of ways they could have done it the way it's been done a hundred times before. But I think having that one moment before the flak starts blowing up around the bombers of actually showing the guns, like I think that puts it in your mind to remember, like these aren't just like little puffs of smoke. Like this is actual artillery rounds. Yeah. The scourge of airmen everywhere. Flak. Do you know, my, uh, my great uncle was actually injured by flak. Didn't know that. Yeah, he, uh, so my great uncle, so my grandmother's brother, uh, he served in World War II. Actually, all of her brothers uh, served at some point in their lives, but two of my great uncles served in World War II. Uh, one of them, well, actually three. Now, anyways, focusing on the one, he was actually a tail gunner on a B-17 in World War II. Uh, he was with the 20th Bomb Group, if and if I can remember correctly, I think they're more focused on, I think they flew out of North Africa, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe Italy. It's I'd have to go back and look, because I, I actually have his, like, I have his wartime flight logs in my possession, so I have to go back and look at those. But he was... Uh, you know, going back to the whole, like, like these planes getting shredded apart and the casualty rate being so high. Uh, you know, my great uncle, he was awarded two Purple Hearts because of flak. Jesus. Yeah. And I mean, and he was, he flew later in the war, too, when the Luftwaffe wasn't as powerful also. So, I mean... Even when we had done a good number on the Luftwaffe, like they were still a formidable force. Yeah, if I recall correctly, they had more planes at the end of the war than at the start of it. Oddly enough. Yeah, their issue was pilots. Mm-hmm. Because they the the Luftwaffe had a, a fly till you a fly till you die policy, which is not great because all of your most experienced pilots end up just dying at some point as opposed to passing on their knowledge. But yeah, 
What you drinking? Uh, Sprite Zero, because it's a school night. Baja Blast. The drink of airmen everywhere, I think. I think so, too. Do you remember when we were in college and... Uh, I don't remember anything from college. I'm uh, kidding. Um, we would go to uh, that bar, Maya's. And, uh, no, no, listeners... no, 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 no. We'd go out drinking, then we'd end up at Maya's, probably because Mitch forced us to. Well, strongly well, encouraged us to, and we didn't have the sobriety to say no. That's fair. So we had this... Our our college town had a lot of bars, as most college towns do. Uh, and there was this one bar which neither me and Jack were a fan of, but we would always go there because of one buddy. And their big deal is they had 101 shots, and they had this little punch card, and once you had tried one of each shot, then you got a t-shirt. Um, anyways, our, our buddy, he was working on his punch card, but me and Jack didn't really care about that. But uh, we had a fun tradition, which was uh, they had a shot called the Flaming Dead Nazi. Um, and it was part Rumpelmans, part Jaeger. And part Schnapps. And, yeah, part Schnapps. It might, um, well, the, the, the Dead Nazi is just Jaeger and Schnapps, right? And it's the rumplements that gives it the fire in the flaming dead Nazi, whatever. I think so. Anyway, but we would do the we would drink this flaming dead Nazi, and we would always toast our ancestors who had fought in the war. So, mm -hmm. for our listeners at home, it, next time you're at the bar, order yourself a flaming dead Nazi and raise a glass to anyone in your family who fought the Nazis. Yep, I do it every time. I get it. It's customary, you know. I was at a strip club in Minneapolis once, and I was sitting with this Japanese stripper, and I explained to her the tradition, and I said, do you have any ancestors that fought in World War II? And she made a face and said, let's do another shot. So, so yeah. It's a hard subject for them. <laughs> uh good times but yeah maya's i don't think he ever got the shirt did he i don't know we'll have to ask him well he's if he if he didn't get it then he ain't gonna get it now because maya's closed down um speaking of bars what did you think of the bar in greenland tiny is cozy like all the best bars. Man, it's it's wild that they actually had a real unicorn horn on the mantle, huh? Fucking narwhal. No, it was a unicorn. Okay. He knows not to argue with me. Some things aren't worth the battle. <laughs> pick, pick your battles. Are you playing with a fucking fidget spinner? Did you hear that? Yes. <laughs> Shit, I got caught. But yeah, <laughs> I was just idly thumbing it. It even has nice that was more than that was more than an idle thumb. Fine, I was fidgeting with it. Okay, you win. <laughs> um, 
No, I thought that was a fun scene, especially when Austin Butler is like, I have a thing here for you that's supposed to like settle a tab and he like pulls out a fucking unicorn statue and he just looks perplexed. He's like, I, I don't know, man. The thing, the thing that got me though, I was like, there's some things in this first episode that's like, you want further elaboration, but you're never going to get it. Like he finally shows up to England and he goes to his buddy. He's like, since when do you like unicorns? He's like, it's my favorite animal. And he just walks away. <laughs> yeah. Unicorns are pretty dope. If unicorns Which, were real, would you join the cavalry? Absolutely. Fucking right, I'd join the cavalry. What did you think of uh, Austin Butler in this? Which one was he? It's the primary guy. He's he's the one that played Elvis. Never watched Elvis. Eh, oh, that guy? I mean, it, he has weird looking yeah. teeth. That's what you took away from his performance? That he has weird teeth? I recognize Barry Kaokin. Barry Kaokin. Kaokin. Whatever. Barry Irishman. Um, looks like he took a flack round to the face. It's uh, kind of mean. Yes, nice. that's not nice. <laughs> DP sounding genuinely hurt on his behalf. Uh, Austin, no, Buck. so yeah, I when I saw the initial trailer when they released that and I saw Austin Butler was going to be one of the primary actors. I was genuinely, I wasn't stoked on it. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I saw the Elvis movie and I thought it was just okay, but I don't know what it is, but Austin Butler kind of rubs me the wrong way at the moment. Like I don't have any, real reason for that it's the same thing with like timothy chalamet i i don't have any reason to dislike him i just do like it's just something about his face you know what i mean you, like you have to have a person why, that you're that way. that's why i fucking hate dane DeHaan. he just pisses me off or like your thing with ed scrine you know i have a thing with ed scrine you hate his voice oh yeah his voice he was all right in Deadpool. I'll grant him that. But so I saw this thing, and it was actually from our friend uh, Sarah from the History Trick 1941. Uh, which, if you haven't seen our episode with her covering the movie Operation Mincemeat, go ahead and check that out. Um, but she made a post on her page the other day uh, that was like a little fun factoid about Masters of the Air, which was. Um, Austin Butler is like, I believe he's a method actor or something like that. So when he got into his like Elvis deal, he like, like full set, like did a full send on it. And apparently he had to hire a voice coach in order to drop his Elvis voice. <laughs> and like, 
the thing is, is you still see his Elvis voice coming through in this first episode. So that kind of bugged me a little bit. But the other part of it, too, is I'm like, okay, by the time this gets to, like, episode 8, 9, 10, however far they're going to take it, he like, is he just going to sound completely different than how he sounded in the first episode? And if so, that's just going to be stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, imagine being so invested in a character you played that you have to hire somebody to, like, bring you out you of how, it. how to teach you how to talk not like them anymore. <laughs> you know, I hear to prepare for this role, he actually became a World War II bomber and dropped bombs on Europe. Like a transformer. <laughs> we have, we must stop Austin Butler. <laughs> Oh, I gotta say, so for our fans at home, uh, we want, we, we watched this together and we did it together on our, our discord. So armchair commanders has a discord, uh, where we do occasional, uh, live viewings together. Cause we like hanging out with you guys. Um, but my God, was this the biggest pain in the ass to try and set up a screening for because apple's a great company yeah fuck apple because fuck apple that's the thing that kind of makes me a little butthurt is like so band of brothers and the pacific were both hbo productions and i don't know where tom hanks is going with his new love of apple i think it might have something to do with the fact that like he didn't get to release Greyhound in theaters because of COVID, so it got released on Apple. So I don't know if that's just like his new thing. But I because I remember texting you, I was like, fuck Apple, dude. Cause I I literally typed into the search bar. I was like, because I, I have Apple Plus. And I I typed it in. I was like, hey, can I screen share with Apple TV running? And the first result is literally uh, the support section, like commonly asked questions from Apple themselves. And it said, Apple TV programs are not yours to share. I'm like, motherfuckers, I paid for this shit. I'll share it with whoever the fuck I want. You know? Yeah. It's not like I'm charging people. Fuck. So we had to find some bootleg stream that probably gave my computer aids um and that didn't even work so then one of our fine dear friends friend, listeners one of, joey one, one of our dear listeners uh he pulled up another stream of dubious natures uh and we we got it done and we God only heard him. like we only heard like three porn ads in the process <laughs> only i just love that like so when we were watching this episode literally like 10 minutes in in the middle of the opening credits when it's doing the you know the song and the different you know cut pieces we just hear like a background sound like hey big boy are you pissing by yourself or like what the no, it fuck was, it was a meme i know the meme too just a Woman say, pissing all by yourself, handsome. <laughs> and then I was like, Joey, was that you? He's like, oh shit, it's all Google Chrome <laughs> audio. God damn it, Joey. 
technical issues aside, we, if anybody wants to, please feel free to, to join our discord. It's the same name as the podcast. So yeah, it should be easy to find. Should be, should be being the, the operative word there. Oh, we also had our dear friend Mitch join us. Yeah. Right. Fucking love me some Mitch. So I don't know about you, but I think it's about, about time, time. To, to rate this thing. I agree. What do you think? Hmm. Actually, before we rate this, I have a proposition for you. What's that? Let's take a shot for every time they have engine problems in this show. Like engine on fire, engine failure, engine turns off. I feel like that's going to be a recurring thing. Deal. <laughs> Listeners at home, you have, you have heard it here. The official Masters of the Air drinking game. Take a shot anytime there is an engine failure. So I'm going with four flaming engines and a half. One's kind of sputtering, but it should get you back to England okay. Okay. What what about it brings it from a five to a four for you? I need to wait and see more. I need more, goddammit. More. More. I'm with you. I I'm gonna sit at at four flaming engines. Um I think this show has a lot of potential. I'm very excited about what is to come and i'm just i'm keeping my fingers crossed um i think the show had a very solid start obviously being the first episode uh there's a couple of things that you're like i wish there was more of or you know there's a couple of things that you're like eh, about but it's the first episode so you got to give it a little grace so i think four is a solid rating yeah does ron does ron tomatoes even have Ratings yes, for like hold up. Um, nice. Fuck, we're on top of this shit. 83% on the tomometer and a 70% audience rating. I'm gonna go with the tomometer. Really? That sounds about right. The audience gave it a 70. Yeah. Thus huh. far. Yeah, I imagine once the audience gets the like the complete picture, the scores would be higher, but for as anticipated as this series is i'm shocked it's not higher right but i don't know the one criticism i keep seeing about tv shows when the first couple episodes one or two drop it's always like oh it sets it up a lot of things and it doesn't deliver well no shit it's the first two episodes and that's like my least favorite criticism i see repeatedly throughout any show yeah i i think it would be very different you know, if we started this show off and it was just like terrible acting and just like nothing was really coming together. But I just from this first episode, I think this series is on the right track to be as good as the other two miniseries. Oh, it has potential. It has potential. So, yeah, I think. I think that's about all so, I have to say about this. So there you go, guys. We did our due diligence and did what every other history YouTuber, history Twitterer, history Twitterer. Instagram, 
history Instagram page has done, and we've given you our review of Masters of the Air. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else, Jack? No, sir. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. The stars do matter. If you like additional content from us, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord at the Armchair Commanders Podcast. And as of this episode, uh, we'll be sh- the next episode that we're publishing will have it incorrect still. But we have changed our YouTube channel, so now our YouTube channel is Yay. also the Armchair Commanders. Yay! Yay! Mazel tov. <laughs> when you Google us, it all comes up at the same place now. Um, so yeah. Give us a, a follow, a like, a subscribe, what have you on those different things. If there's anything you'd like to see us review, shoot us a message and we'll uh, we'll try and fit it in. Uh, until next time, I've been John. And I'm Jack. And we'll catch you later. Bye.